welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. You get electrolytes in different strengths to match how you sweat, and you can get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15. We're also brought to you by Thriver.co, the simple finger prick blood test you can do at home to track your hormone, vitamin, and mineral levels in your body. You can get 10% off all subscriptions with the code OxygenAddict10. Right, everybody, how you doing? I hope you're well. Welcome to today's episode. I've got a great interview today for you with two-time Olympian Rachel Klammer from the Netherlands. Um, very interesting young lady. She, um, she's been to the Olympics twice. She finished 10th in Rio and she's having the, uh, she's having the season of her life, actually. She's currently ranked ninth in the ITU rankings and um, she finished second at the end of 2019 at uh, the Super League Malta event, looking extremely strong on the bike and the run. And there wasn't much to choose between her and Katie Zafira. So uh, so I think, you know, she was in with a serious shot of a podium at at uh, Tokyo 2020 so a bit gutted for her she's been robbed of that chance but she's very positive um, she's living out in the Netherlands with her new husband Richard Murray um, so yeah look forward to listening to that one she's a she's a great very entertaining uh, athlete who doesn't take life too seriously but obviously really has a great love for for running and for biking so listen out for that later on um, we'll kick it off. We'll give a shout out to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Um, remember, you can take that online sweat test to see if you're a particularly heavy or particularly salty sweater. They make electrolyte sachets in different strengths that match how you sweat. So if, like me, you're an extremely salty sweater, um, I lose over 1,500 milligrams of sodium per litre of a <laughs> fluid that I sweat out. So I need 1500 milligrams of sodium back in, in every bottle I drink when I'm on the turbo. And usually I go through slightly more than one bottle in an hour's turbo session. So if it wasn't for precision hydration sachets, I'd be losing over a gram and a half of salt essentially in each session, resulting in horrendous cramps in the night, sometimes even cramps in my calves as I'm working out. So it's been a game changer for me. And if you're an athlete who really struggles with getting cramp in workouts or getting cramps in the night, really encourage you to just give this a try. It's a very, very simple solution. Sachets don't really taste of much at all. They're quite pleasantly fruity um, flavored. They're not really salty like those old school electrolyte tablets used to be that dissolved and just tasted like seawater. These ones are really good and you can mix them in your bottle uh, and actually encourages you to drink as well. So get over there, check it out. You can use the code OxygenAddict15 if you've not tried them before, get 15% off your first order. It is a no-brainer. Okay, um, right then. So I want to talk a little bit this week, a few bits and bobs I've seen. First up, we've been doing, I've been doing loads of cooking this week, which has been fantastic. I've been doing some of the recipes from Performance Chef Al Murchison's book. Um, we've been really lucky within our team Oxygen Addicts. We've officially partnered up with Al. He's providing some recipes for the team and matching those recipes up with the athletes training. So on heavy days of training, they get the meals they need then. On recovery days, they get the meals they need then. On the really long days and more importantly, the night before the long days, they're getting food and meals prescribed that match the training that they're going to be doing. So Al's done an amazing job of, of giving our athletes essentially a free sample week 
of his um, sort of personalized nutrition coaching and people are loving it. I'm loving it too. I'm a rubbish cook and his recipes are awesome. So if you've not got his book, The Performance Chef, highly recommend it. Sorry, I think it's called The, the Cycling Chef actually. Check it out over on Amazon. Loads of great stuff that even idiots like me can cook. And honestly, if I can do it, <laughs> absolutely anybody can. So I've been loving a bit of that. But unfortunately, on the old Instagram, I noticed Al's had a horrendous bike crash this weekend. He's bust himself wide open. I don't know what he's done, whether he's broken his collarbone or his shoulder, but um, he had a photo posted up of him in A&E, sucking down the old gas and air with his shoulder in a sling. So I just wanted to say, Al, if you're listening, mate, I hope you get well soon. Maybe if you're a listener to the show and you follow Al on Instagram, you can drop him a message and say, get well soon, because I know these things help when you're not very well. Um, yeah, I hope you're doing better soon, buddy. It's it's awful look. And uh, I believe he's written his bike off as well, so it must have been a hell of a smash. So nasty business. The other thing I want to talk about, I got a cracking email through earlier on today from Marco Altini, who you'll remember a few episodes ago, I did an interview with him. He's the guy behind the HRV for training app and one of the world's leading you know, physiology experts on using HRV in and amongst training. Um, we've been getting really into this over the past two months and we've been studying it so we can use it with our athletes, studying it so basically I can use it myself initially selfishly and also it trickles down to the athletes as well but I really wanted to understand the science behind it and having the opportunity to get Marco on the show was fantastic for everyone getting to listen to how important all that is it's also fantastic from a coaching point of view because I'm not an expert in this so having access to an expert I believe is is the way to go find the people who are the best in the field in the world, interview them, learn from them. Obviously, you guys get to listen to these interviews as well. And then try and put it into practice in my own training and with the training of the athletes that I coach. Um, one of the massive and interesting takeaways from the conversation with Marco was, well, before we go into what that takeaway was, let's talk a little bit about what HRV is, if you're not sure. HRV stands for heart rate variability. And what it essentially means is, it's your body's early warning system for telling you if you're under a massive amount of stress. Now, it's not just training stress, although that is a big part of it, but it's stress in our life in general. And when we are under tremendous amounts of stress, be it massive training load, massive stress at work, massive stress at home and the family life, lack of sleep, whatever, it impacts on your body's ability to absorb training and in particular to absorb higher intensity training. Uh, and it's as simple as this. When you are under massive amounts of stress, your body reacts by showing you in your heartbeat variability that you are not ready to train hard at the moment. What essentially happens is everyone's heartbeats have got a variable interval between each of them. It doesn't beat sort of like a metronome does it beats at irregular intervals and you need an extremely accurate measurement to see this. It's down to milliseconds. But when you get really, really tired, your heart rate beats more, um, more regularly, if you like. So the app on the phone can measure this just using the simple camera on the back. Um, and it can tell you when your body is experiencing significant stress. And on those days, there is no point training hard at high intensities because your body cannot absorb it. And if anything, you're going to put yourself at risk of overtraining or worse illness or worse niggles and injuries. So it's like a very clever early warning system that says, don't train hard today. That's essentially what this is. And 
we initially approached this as a way to think, right, we can, we can fine tune our athletes training plans by swapping their, swapping their sessions around. So they do their hard sessions on the days when they're most recovered. That was our original thinking. What Marco said was, that's not the best way to use it. The best way to use it is to train as normal, but on the days when your heart rate variability drops, when you're not recovered, when you're not able to do high-intensity sessions, you just simply do not do those high-intensity sessions. You don't replace them the next day. You don't move them further along the week. You just cut the intensity of them right back. And so this has allowed us to give the athletes that I coach some really specific guidance now so that um, instead of just having a training plan that gets adapted on a day-by-day basis according to how an athlete feels, it now gets adapted by the science of how your body is ready to train. And our athletes only do hard training on the days when their bodies are capable of absorbing it. If they're not capable of absorbing it, we do a lower intensity session as, instead. So we give athletes now a complete set of guidance within Team Arc that says, if your HRVs drop today, do not try and train hard. Instead, adapt the session like this. And so we give a set of guidelines for how to reduce bike power and by what percentages, how to reduce run pace and by what percentages, and how to reduce swim paces and by what percentages. So athletes are still getting individualized training sessions, but more than just being individualized to them, the background and the training history, it's now getting individualized and adapted on a day-to-day basis, just as if I was standing next to them at the track and I could see they were absolutely wiped out. I'd say, right, you know, you're going to either cut your training session short or you're going to do it at a lower intensity. They now have that guidance given to them partly by an app and partly by the, the guidance on how to adapt their sessions based on that. Now, literally half an hour ago, Marco emailed me and he sent through the details of a study that's just been published. Um, It was published in the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research. And it caught my eye initially because it speaks to exactly what I've just been talking about. But one of the authors of this paper is Dan Plews, who a lot of you will know. We had him on the show. He was top age grouper in Kona. And he, I can't remember the time he went. It was something absolutely, utterly ridiculous. It was, I think it was 8.25 or 8.30, something like that. Um, Dan was one of the, the top age groupers as I was coming into the sport back in the early 2000s. He was winning everything in the UK at the Olympic distance. He's gone on to now become um, a doctor of physiology, works over in New Zealand, I believe Auckland University. Um, And he's published a study. There were were five main authors. Main author was Alejandro Havaloyes. I'm going to read you the abstract of this because it's, it's really interesting. What they've done is they've, they've compared what happens if you have two groups of athletes, one of them follow a traditional block periodization approach, which, you know, is the standard sort of three week build with a bit more, bit more intensity, a bit more volume each week, and then a fourth week dropping down. The other group train based on heart rate variability. So the same training plan, except they simply don't do the hard sessions if their HRV guides them to not do the hard sessions. And the results of this were really interesting. What they did was after eight weeks of training, they looked at their the VO2 max, looked at the threshold power. Um, and what they found was that the group who trained according to HRV guidance improved significantly the VO2 max, they improved significantly the threshold power. The group that trained 
just by block periodization didn't. Okay, so simply by not doing hard intensity training on the days they weren't ready to do it, they have improved more than athletes who've done more hard sessions than them, but may not have been in a state to do it. So essentially, anyone who's training without HRV guidance is really, really missing out on the ability to make massive gains. And it's not massive gains in terms of working harder, it's massive gains in terms of working smarter. And um, we've seen this within the group. We've been we've had a test group training with the HRV for training app for about eight weeks now within our group. Just guys who we coach who volunteered to use it or people who were using it already because we wanted to study what their training response was compared to people who were just on our kind of block, block training um, plan as well, if you want to think of it like that. So very similar to this study that has just been sent through to us. And simply off anecdotal evidence, we've seen massive improvements in the athletes who've backed off the training on the days when their HRV has dropped. And often it's, you know, the athletes have struggled with this. They've said, I felt fine, but my HRV dropped. And I measured my HRV again. It definitely dropped. I definitely got the guidance from the app to not do any intensity today. So I didn't do it. And it was really hard to fight the urge in my mind to go and do the hard training session because, you know, highly motivated, fired up to do it. But we have seen some really interesting results of people. Again, just anecdotally, this isn't a scientific study, but fairly big jumps happening in threshold power just over the last sort of eight to 12 weeks. And interestingly, in a period where we've paired back our athletes high intensity training anyway we haven't had any athletes doing any 100% of FTP work at all over the last 12 weeks so there's definitely something in this idea of you know you're going to improve faster by being smarter than you are by hammering yourself and I know it's very popular on Instagram it's very popular on Twitter people love to talk about how hard they've smashed themselves and that's great you know People, I enjoy smashing myself as well. But if your focus is on performance and if your focus is on improvement, you can be athletes who are more talented than you if you're smarter than them. You can beat athletes who are smashing themselves into the ground if you're only doing the hard training when your body's ready to absorb it. And I really want you to take that thought away. You can beat athletes who are more genetically talented. You can beat athletes who are working harder than you by working smarter than them. And that's just by using this simple HRV um, response. Now, I really love the HRV for training app. There's other options out there. Whoop's really good. Um, from what I've read and understand, the Garmin HRV information isn't great and information that isn't accurate is worse than no information at all. So if you're going to train guided by HRV, you either need Whoop, an Aura Ring, or you need to use the HRV for training app. Um, HRV for training is dead simple. All you need is your camera phone and you just need to lie really still for the first two minutes after you wake up in the morning. You put your finger on the back of the camera and it just basically takes like an optical heart rate reading. And it's absolutely validated by science these days. It used to be five, six, seven years ago. You needed expensive equipment to measure it accurately. And now you don't. You can just do it with a, a camera phone. So I think that this app is it's genius. And again, they don't sponsor us. We're not paid to say this. We don't get any deals from them. All of our athletes are paying full whack to use the app. And it's one of these examples of something that is a really good opportunity for you. The app to give you uh, the numbers on it, it's £10 for lifetime subscription to it. So it's a tiny amount of money. 
that's probably less than you spend on gels in a week. And it's, you know, it's absolutely revolutionizing the way that we coach athletes because we now know that people are going to follow this guidance and they're going to, you know, they're going to turbocharge their performance gains because they're being really smart with the training and just cutting out the high intensity work on the days when they're not ready to do it. Okay. So I encourage you go back in time, listen to our interview with Marco. Um, let me see, can I find out? I don't know the interview. It was, it was probably four or five weeks ago. So you need to go back. It's probably somewhere around episode 280. So, uh, yeah, go back and check that out. Super, super interesting guy. Um, and if you're interested in coming on board and training with us, we've had an offer on that. If you join us for a year's worth of training and sign up for an annual membership, it's going to get extended all the way through to September of 2020. We said that was going to run until the end of May. I'm looking at my watch. It's now the 2nd of June, but you know what? A couple of days either way, I suppose does make a difference. So if you can get in within the next few days, by the end of this week, we'll extend your annual membership all the way through to September of 2021. You essentially get like, I don't know what that is, 15 months of training for the price of 12. Makes it a no-brainer for you as well. But you'll get to experience the HRV guided training. You get to experience our training plans. You'll get Alan Murchison's food coaching week and the the um the recipes from that. So the food is periodized to your week in your training as well. I really think we've got like the best overall coaching package for athlete health, wellness and performance that there is out there. I don't know if I'm saying this genuinely, having looked at our competitors, I don't think there's another coaching package on the planet for the price that comes anywhere near this. And that's not me blowing my own horn. That's me having worked my ass off for the last five years to get this product to the point where it has everything that you're going to need taken care of. So yeah, come on board, give it a try. If it's not for you, you know, nothing lost. But I really believe if you come and look at some of the testimonials from our athletes, it will be a no-brainer for you. Uh, and if you want to have a chat with me, there's a link in the show notes. You can uh, you can book a, a chat with me and we'll have a chat at your convenience. You can ask any questions that you've got because it is really important that you know that whoever you're signing up for coaching with is the right fit for you. So come and have a chat with me and the team and uh, yeah, come on board. But this is going to be the last week we've got the offer running. We can't keep that going. So if you want to get in, get in this week. Okay. Just before we do interview of the week, I'm just going to give a shout out to Thriver.co um, and a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of an update as well. You remember me talking last week and the week before. They were offering for sale a coronavirus antibody test. I booked and paid for that myself. It wasn't a freebie for me. Um, I don't get any deals like that through them, through them sponsoring the show. So I paid my own cash for that, that test. It's now been withdrawn, unfortunately. The government have said they need some kind of legislation on it before they'll allow companies like Thriver to sell an antibody test. Thriver are convinced that the test is good to go. The government have put a hold on it. So um, apologies to anyone who went to look for it. It literally got pulled the day that the podcast went live. So yeah, a bit frustrating. I know there's some of the guys on TriTalk were upset because they you know, went on to get one and found it wasn't there and thought I was talking nonsense. But genuinely, it was available at the time I said it was. By the time the podcast was published, it had been pulled. But Thriver have got a fantastic at-home finger prick blood test service going on. So if you're wondering what's happening in your body 
and you know you can't get in to see your GP, you can't get a blood test done, it takes forever. You can now have it done in the comfort of your own home, essentially. They'll post you a blood test kit out, you do a tiny little finger prick, you squeeze five or six drops of blood into a tiny little test tube that they send you, um, you label the tube, you stick it in an envelope that they've already given you and you stick it back in the post. The whole thing is literally done within 10 minutes of the package being opened for the first time. It's an absolute no-brainer. You can choose what you want on your test, um, you can have iron tested, testosterone levels, hematocrit, liver function, vitamin B9, B12, vitamin D, thyroid function, diabetes, cholesterol, omega-3 and 6, all of those things. If you're not feeling great at the moment and you want to know what's going on in your body, I highly recommend having this done. Again, it's about the, it's about the price of buying yourself a new tire for the bike. So it's a no-brainer financially. And you can get 10% of all subscriptions with the code OxygenAddict10. All right, guys, so let's head over to our interview of the week with Rachel Klammer. Rachel Klammer, welcome Please. to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. How are things with you today? Perfect. Thanks for having me. Oh, things are well today. We've got an easy day. Um, we're just doing some swimming, some gym today, and um, some other stuff you have to do in and around the house when you're not racing and competing. Does it feel as though the rest and recovery days are actually harder work with all of the house administration that needs to take place? Sort of. I'm always super excited for the rest day. And then when rest day arrives, I'm like, oh, no, I've got this whole list of stuff I have to or want to do today. And normally at the end of the day, it's like half of it got done. Um, also, because we're swimming um, quite far away. So we'll be like leaving at quarter past two and we'll only be back at five. 530 um so then your day is gone yeah so are pools open at the moment over in the netherlands or are you going open water swimming yeah they are open um they recently opened i'm not sure how everything works um if they're actually open for everyone i'm not sure if all the pools are the same um but we're using someone's like private pool from a hotel and we're swimming with a squat and they train in a 50 meter pool so We've got the whole pool there, uh, so Rich and I will be swimming in one lane and two other athletes will swimming in the other lane, so we've got a big distance between everyone. Uh, so we don't go to public hours. Um, we try to <laughs> minimise the contact with other people still. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how things are things are different in different countries around the world and, and in some places, like where we are, the pools are just not open full stop. So yeah. people desperate for a swim have to get in the wetsuits at the moment. Um, well, let's kick off with talking about that then. How how have you found um, lockdown affects you in your training? How how have things been going for you? Yeah, it's interesting. Like people in the Netherlands, some people still call it lockdown, but I think that's not the right word because we still have a lot of freedom. First, when they were talking about lockdown, I was like, okay, well, in the worst case, we live outside the village, like outside the city, but definitely even outside a village. Uh, so we've got a lot of space and I wasn't too worried about it. Yeah, the swimming would have been an issue, but I thought, okay, we'll just find a solution. We even went swimming once, which was like at the start of it. And it was like really cold. We went open water swimming with booties and gloves and everything. Oh, it wasn't. I was like, oh, this is going to be tough if we have to do this <laughs> a lot. Um, but then we ended up finding a private pool. Um, we were still allowed to go out running and cycling. So for us, it wasn't actually so bad. Not, I mean, we adjusted our training, but mainly because there are no, there is no racing. So if you train full on now, 
I can't be too motivated probably by the end of the year. Uh, so that was actually the biggest change for us, just taking it a bit easier, definitely, and uh, kind of doing what we feel like doing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether I imagine that a lot of athletes who, you know, you've all been on this build up to the Olympics and it's obviously a very driven winter. There's all, all sorts of extra training has to happen in that final preparation to the Olympics. Everybody's almost got a pause button that's been pressed on the career. And I wonder how many people are going to come back refreshed and rejuvenated that might have been borderline injured, borderline ill. We might get to see at the Olympics in 2021 a really competitive field of, of 55 people who are at the absolute top of their game for the first time in who knows how long. Yeah, it's interesting if you look around, like it looks like there's two groups of athletes, group of athletes who are still like training hard, doing track workouts, hard swims, some brick sessions. And, and there's the group of athletes which seem to be taking it easy. Well, we're still doing training, but not like a lot and not like very hard sessions and, more training like the way we feel so if we're feeling good then go ahead and have some fun and try to get some Strava segments or um, just enjoy it and yeah on the other hand there's that group which seems to be doing like really hard sessions and I'm like I, I don't know I'm not keen on doing that every day if I mean some days where I feel like yeah I'm, when I'm keen okay but some days I just rather sit on the couch and just watch tv then I'll still go out and train but just enjoy it go out and explore and get the miles in i'm just imagining living on the outskirts of your village in the netherlands and being a being a runner who's going out to try and take some strava segments and finding that all the male records are held by richard murray and all the female records are held by rachel Glover. <laughs> we did get some messages from people we're like oh no not again not again <laughs> and once we even took my dad with us uh, so it was like the family was not was a number one two and three which was quite <laughs> funny and there's one Strava segment my dad never used Strava we just uploaded his watch and then we uploaded his watch and we saw he has one uh, Strava segment and we're like okay we're not going to take it that will be his <laughs> so we just had a lot of fun doing it yeah so Richard mentioned when we talked with him about his his 5k time trial are you are you tempted to do something similar and just kind of see where your body's at even though you know you say you're training but it's not peak yeah. season training at the moment how, how are you feeling about how your body's going um depends on the day some days really good some days a little less um I did actually run a 5k um but my time wasn't that impressive I did like a 16.25 which was still good enough but it wasn't like wow um but then again our bodies are also different we work different we did a similar training but it works for us in a different way like Richard can do, do a lot of endurance training and still be really fast and endurance training makes me stronger, but not fast. So I'll need track sessions and hard workouts to actually run fast. So I think for the first time this week, I'll be doing a track session. And it has been months since I've done that. Um, just to see, okay, will it help a little bit to get faster? And I'll probably do another 5K run uh, in like two or three weeks from now. But nothing spectacular probably because my body needs a bit more time to get fast. And it's not the time now to be super fast. If like if you get fast naturally, like Richard, then yeah, then that's fine. But my body uh, needs to have a lot more harder training to be fast. I'll tell you what, Rachel, if you can knock out a 1625 5K without any speed training, then that's not a bad jumping off place to be in, in the middle of just 
casually doing some training at the moment it wasn't bad but it felt horrible I was already like smashed from like the first 20 meters I also started way too fast because I had no clue what I was gonna run so (laughs) (laughs) that was the biggest lesson today that don't start too fast so yeah so listen let's take you back then you got into triathlon relatively late I believe you were were you 17 the first time you tried triathlon yeah I was about 17 when I started yeah it seems to be quite young now <laughs> yeah. 17 I'm like whoa that's so long ago <laughs> yeah so how did you end up having to go at triathlon for the first time then so I used to be a swimmer at a local swim squad and I mean after lots of years I kind of got a bit bored of just those tiles and also spending like a full day in the pool to swim like 400 meters. Um, so I started running it because my parents just did some running races locally and it happened, I happened to be a bit faster than the standard person of my age. Uh, so I started to look for a running squad and there I met someone who actually used to train at the same swim squad as or I grew up swimming. And he said, oh, there's like this talent day from the triathlon federation. And especially my mom was like, no, 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 triathlon. That's like for older people and you're still young, you're a girl. And it's like, it's way too long. We didn't really know there was like races for young athletes, for kids and short distances too. Uh, So from that moment, from the day I did that like talent day where you only had to run and uh, swim, by the way. Uh, things went really fast. I'm soon I qualified for the European Champs Juniors, but I'd never done a triathlon before, uh, so that was uh, quite entertaining. Yeah. So that was your first triathlon, the Europeans. Well, they sent me to a race like a week or two before to a race in France <laughs> to get a triathlon done before, so I wouldn't be like racing my first triathlon at European Champs. So yeah, I didn't I didn't really like it to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's too late by then you yeah you've been de- de- decided to. you were good enough yeah was that did you finish fourth in the european no at that race i finished 26 or third like somewhere 26 or 36 like halfway the field somewhere now half walking on the course and like stitches and like and I was, I remember there was a crash and I'd never been on a bunch in the bike. So I asked my coach if I had to stop and wait for the others because oh, <laughs> I had no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah. And what point was it when you realized, do you know what? I might be, I might be quite good at this and I might quite enjoy this. Was there a tipping point for you when you thought, hmm. Those were two different things that I'm good at it and I'm going to enjoy this um, because at the start like all the coaches were like oh you're going to be so good at this and maybe you can go to the Olympics and it's like whoa this is going a bit fast yeah I've just done my first triathlon and I kind of sucked I mean I didn't go that badly because I ended up like halfway the field um but then after a couple of races I started enjoying it also the combination of the three different sports that I could be yeah side and I could still run and I gave up swimming completely because I'd never been good at making choices so I guess doing triathlon was the best decision because at that time I was also like thinking of doing just athletics and um, there was the athletics federation and the triathlon federation and the athletics federation said okay you have to choose you can't keep swimming you can't ride your bike you just have to do running well, the Triathlon Federation was like, well, if you just want to do some running races or swimming competitions, go ahead and have fun and see if you like this. Well, easy then, because 
I was still young. I didn't want to make a decision. So, yeah, trial on it was. And then I've, I've got your uh, your Red Bull page up here in the background. It said in 2009, only one year later, she finished second at the European Championships and followed that up with a bronze at the World Junior Championships in Australia. So it was a it was a pretty rapid, pretty rapid move up the ranks into actually getting on podiums and winning stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Things went really quickly. Um, and that's probably also because it, that's why it was also probably hard, at, like when I got a bit older to see myself improving less because she, every race I did was better and better and better and went better and everything I did only went well until it obviously started like to well, I still improve but not with big steps and I started to get injuries and things didn't go as smoothly anymore um so that's when I learned the hard way okay the sports is not just fun it's also hard work it was a very rapid rise then from sort of really just starting triathlon in sort of 2008 time to being at the Olympics in in London. Yeah, absolutely. And I I still remember like people talking about the Olympics in 2008, but I never watched a triathlon before. So I was doing triathlon kind of starting at that time, but I didn't watch the Olympics and I didn't, I mean, I like doing sports, but I didn't watch sports or so I'd never... I never thought I would be an athlete because I went to school and obviously that was important and I had to choose which study I was going to study at university, but that was something you just never thought of doing. Didn't feel like a standard job. <laughs> Interesting. So it feels like you're, I mean, a, a lot of people who end up in professional sport have been really dead set on doing that from being seven or eight years old. You know, they live, eat and breathe it. And it feels as though you've you've got a sort of, an innocence to you almost about just really enjoying it and, and kind of having discovered that you've been really good at something relatively early on you've still got a freshness about you that you've arrived at your first olympic games and uh it's a bit like wow how did this happen this is really good fun do you think that's helped your longevity well at the start it definitely did until i realized okay wait i'm like i want to do this triathlon thing but i also want to study and i'm and I was getting injured at the same time. So suddenly everything was getting so much. Um, and that's when I decided, okay, you know, I have to make a decision. I have to take this sports thing if I want to do it like more serious. So that's when I quit my university, focused on triathlon. And from that moment on, everything became much more serious. Like it wasn't just enjoying it and having fun and doing well, but about having to do well and that you have to perform. Um, so it was definitely much more pressure as soon as I started to yeah see it as a professional sport instead of a hobby and and what drives you to do it then is it is it mainly to see how good you can get personally or is it are you driven by having rivalries with other athletes and and really enjoying the thick of competition and, and trying to beat people I think it's a combination of everything um on one hand I would be lying if it's just like oh I'm just doing it because it's fun uh, I also always said, like, I've got a lot of respect for people who are just somewhere at the back of the field because I would not be able to do that. So I've got a lot of respect for the athletes who just train super hard and um, just do it because they love doing it. Um, so I've always also said that if I'm not able to be at the front or getting close to the front, I'm not sure if I would like it that much because I want to obviously get the best out of myself but I also want to compete 
Um, so that's lucky enough I had some talent in doing this and not just, I've, yeah, it's like training. I love training, but I also want to have that race to compete and just see, okay, where am I? And I need that bit of competition. And that's what I said to Richard too. Like when now we've been training just by, with the two of us, it's something I sometimes miss competition because I can't race Richard. Or if we have to run, I'm all by myself. Um, and Richard can really get into that race, race mode. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, I, I need to I need to race again. So I want to do it for myself, but I also like the competition part. Yeah, definitely. Well, it seems like you're you're coming into peak form almost at exactly the right time for the Olympics. You had a, a fantastic end to 2019 with your results in, in Hamburg and the world final in Lausanne. You were fourth in both of those races. And there's only a handful of seconds separating you. You were ahead of Flora Duffy. And then you've got Georgia Taylor-Brown, Jess Learmont and Katie Zafiras there. That's probably as close as you're going to get to the top five competition for the Olympics right there. So what are your thoughts? Obviously, you know, Tokyo has been suspended for a year effectively, but what are your thoughts going forward into the Olympics? Are you a person who, who needs to see your results against your, com- your competition to believe you're capable of it? Or are you someone who is just going to get on the start line and, and just gives it her best? Um, depends on the, the type of, race like at the start of the year you don't know where your form is at so you're just there on the start line and I'm just gonna give my best but I know it also works for me to compete against other athletes and realize wow I'm getting closer now I get more eager I get more excited I'm like oh it's just this tiny little bit I have to get extra and then I'll be there so it was definitely important to have a couple of good races because it gives you some some extra motivation and um yeah it makes me a little bit more eager and I'm more aware of what I'm capable of doing. Well, one of the places you do get a lot of, um, I'm going to say intense, but I mean, close, close contact, fast and furious racing is in the Super League triathlon series. Now I saw you race out there in Malta and it looks fantastic for someone who enjoys competition because there are so many races you're in the thick of it. Things change so quickly. Each of the individual little events are so short. Is that something that's helped bring out the best in you competition-wise, do you think, getting to race your competition for the Olympics over much shorter distances? Absolutely, because I always thought I was more like an endurance athlete. Um, and at the start of the Super League racing, I hated it. They know, it's not a secret. I said I really didn't enjoy it. <laughs> um, because I thought I wasn't capable of racing so hard and so short um, but it's more than just racing short it's also like thinking and being aware of everything around you and like having the right timing for certain things Racing, it's about racing smart because if you have a long distance race if you make a little mistake then you'll be able to get back um, but in the short type of racing one little mistake and you're out um so it's a lot of focusing 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 being so close to there at least also helped me to realize in the longer distances that i'm able to do this um i can beat them i can be there and um yeah now we obviously all had plans for this season and yeah we hope we can move those plans till next year but we don't know 
now and that's sometimes a bit difficult that you're like well I'm training now but for what and that's why I'm taking training a little bit easier so as soon as the races are there again I can be motivated again to yeah give that bit of extra yeah yeah um I want to touch about Katie Zafirez because you and her had a pretty epic battle out in Malta and I'd imagine she's one of the if not the prime rivals for you at the Olympics how valuable do you think it's been to to spend time around Katie and race up against her close and personal in events like Super League has it helped you think absolutely it's it's kind of a funny thing but it's definitely a mental thing that as soon as I was getting close to her I thought oh I'm much closer than I thought I would be capable of being and that's when we were doing the last bit of the run I was like nah I cannot do this because I, she's always beaten me but then after the race like hmm what if I didn't think that and I would have been more aware of everything around me and thinking like, like I am actually capable of doing this and I can do it so it's like that little bit of that little thing you learn um, they always say from your mistake but you always, well, I kind of always think I always learn winning or being close to the front of the race just because it's a mental thing that you're like, okay, I've done this before, so I can do it again. Yeah, and you're, you're so, yeah, before the race, I never have a specific race, but yeah. I was just going to say then, sorry to interrupt you, um, your run split in Lausanne was less than 10 seconds behind Katie. Um so it looks on paper as though there's very little between you in terms of physiology. Now, it might not feel that way mentally, because I know 10 seconds looks a lot further in real life than it, than it looks on paper. But that was, my, that was my theory, that if getting to mix it with Katie on these short distance races, seeing, you know, she's right there in front of me, she's very close. I'd imagine that does an awful lot for your confidence. Yeah, it's probably that moment also about who wants it the most um of course I want it but if you know you can do it then it helps you a little bit more with wanting the most and yeah about Lausanne I had to chase big time when I was all by myself and that's the difference same in training if you're with someone else you can hang on for longer if you're just by yourself you've got yourself to race against but you've got no one ahead of you and I knew I wasn't going to get further to the front. I was going to be fourth, whether I would run another 20 seconds or 10 seconds faster. So that probably helped too. But yeah, when I looked at the result list, I was like, well, got to be there from the start because I, if I'm not, I'm not going to win this race. So yeah, but I, it's good to know that I'm still improving uh, and not just stuck at one level. Um, so that, that makes me happy. Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about sponsorship. Who who are your sponsors and who's helped you out over the years with, with kit and equipment and financial help and things like that? Yeah, sponsors are super important uh, for all our athletes, um, especially now in times where we're not racing. We don't make any money from racing. Uh, we've got a couple of main sponsors, a couple of smaller sponsors, like we've got Texaco, Red Bull, and I've got 361 for running, we've got Orca for swimming, and there's so many, yeah, it's it's not just, like, products, it's also the support behind, like, that they believe in you, that they uh, support you when you need them or when you feel like you're part of a group. Um, 
so it's it's not just like oh here you got your stuff and have fun with it and um, also like a long-term relationship like Koga has been my bike sponsor for well I think the past seven years if I'm not mistaken I've raced with them I think since, since 2013 and Shimano builds my bikes and it's just like it's also nice to notice now that sponsors are starting to work together with each other and yeah absolutely important and I guess it must be it must be doubly important to know you've got that professional financial backing at a time of pandemic when you know it'd be very easy for big corporations to forget about paying their professional athletes. But it's worth remembering that although you guys you know you look like you're living the life on Instagram and you can have fantastic publicity shots, at the end of the day, at the moment, there's no there's no races there for you to do to actually earn money and prize money. So have sponsors been been good in terms of looking after you during this because i'd imagine that um it's a big worry isn't it at a time like this when when no one knows where the where the money's going to come from yeah well i'm very happy to say that i haven't had any issues with my sponsors and also we try to use this time to help them a bit more like during the season we promote them just more or less by showing that we're using the products and racing and get them give them media attention that way but now that all falls away, so we're trying to interact a bit more via social media and um, giving them a bit more attention that way. So I'm lucky that all my sponsors are still with me. I'm very happy and pleased with that. I know it's not like that for all the athletes out there, um, and that's that's very difficult because we don't have a nine-to-five job where we just like go to work and come back and earn our money. Um, and yeah, we we're lucky that we're living in a very nice place that we. Uh, that we're living next to my parents so if we need help or if they need help we've got everything we need um but if you look around like especially in this time of corona and if you look in south africa then then we're living a very luxury life and we're not allowed to complain although sometimes we do when i'm looking at houses i'm like well if we don't don't earn any money this year we will not be able to afford it so those are little things in life and we're not allowed to complain and, and one last thing I saw on Instagram, it looks like you guys have got a gym set up in, is it a barn at the back of the house? You've got, you've got a gym True. set up in there. Yeah. Yeah. My dad is probably not that happy with it because we're slightly taking over their uh, whole uh, place here, but um, no, because we didn't know if we were going to be able to swim and we always did some really basic gym. Uh, my brother loves his strength training and my brother, he's quite a, little bit of a bodybuilder now so for him it was also nice to be here and being able to train at home and now the gyms are closed so we decided to work together and uh get a get a bit of a gym at home which is quite cool nice view so yeah it's great it reminded me of that scene from um from rocky four when rocky's in the barn lifting old pieces of wood up above his head um i think your gym is a little bit more uh, sophisticated than that yeah. but it's not bad. Yeah, we we don't have any Wi-Fi there currently, but it's uh, that will do. It's like a good place to just focus on what you have to do. Love it. All right. Well, listen, thank you uh, very much for your time for the interview. It's been great talking to you and um, you and Richard continue enjoying the training out in the Netherlands and enjoying your time in nature. And hopefully we'll get to see you back in racing action sometime soon. Yeah, thanks. Now we're off to Richard's favorite session of the week. Hi, Richard. Swimming. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you guys enjoy. Thanks very much. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking with Rachel there. Um, 
both her and Richard seem like really, really fun people and uh, obviously really enjoying their training and their lives out there in the Netherlands. So I hope to see them back racing again soon. All right, everyone, that just about brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, here's some discount codes for you. You can use the code OxygenAddict15 for 15% off your first electrolyte order at precisionhydration.com. You can use the code OxygenAddict10 for 10% off all home blood test subscriptions at thriver.co. And uh, visit teamoxygenetic.com for all your triathlon coaching needs. Remember, there's links in the show notes for all of these sponsors so you don't have to remember them. Till next week, everyone, have a great safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygenetic Triathlon Podcast. See ya. See ya.